Hello, and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is the actor, writer, producer, and tradesman, Todd Von Joel. This is a really personal episode for me. I've known Todd for years. He's one of those mates that instinctively understands the struggles men can go through with their mental health. He's been through a lot of them himself, and he's got an uncanny ability to talk openly about his own vulnerabilities. When I first knew him, he was one of the few lads that I'd met who found it so easy to open up. I've always been impressed by that, and that was one of the reasons I've always wanted him on the reset. Beyond that, Todd has had a successful creative career as an actor in shows including EastEnders, Holby City and Silent Witness. He's a published writer, and he recently produced his first feature film. So he's a man of many talents. It was a joy to talk to him about mental health, masculinity, and learning to cope with his demons. I hope you enjoy listening. Todd, welcome to The Reset, mate. Thank you very much for having me on, Sam. I'm very um, flattered to be in such good company. I've obviously listened to a number of your recent ones. So, yeah, thank you very much for considering me to come on. Well, it's a pleasure, mate. And you should know, I started this podcast because during all of my own struggles with mental health and addiction and all of that that I've, that I've had over the years, um, the most sort of helpful thing and powerful thing was meeting people who I thought I could relate to who were similar to me, um, who could open, be open and, and share the sort of things they've been through and the feelings they had. But what I want to know is, how come you have this gift where most blokes find it very difficult to open up, but you don't care? I, I don't know whether... It's like it's sort of... I've got no sort of filter, and I've actually, like, questioned myself if maybe I've got some sort of, like form of Asperger's or autism where I just sort of go yeah and do it and throughout my life my behaviour I've in negative and positive ways I've just gone and sort of done it yeah and my analogy I use now is here's all my cards now let's see yours and maybe it's a way of self-protection because if if I let people know what's going on with me then I can't get caught out that's that but that's a beautiful thing you know they say the truth will set you free and I think that's really true and you live with a lot less anxiety mm. when you're able to be very open about yourself because you're never sort of thinking, am I going to get found out or people That's think it. I'm a fake? But it takes a lot of people many years to arrive at that. Mm. A lot of us put up a front for many years and then it takes some sort of crisis for you to start realising, do you know what, I need to be honest and open about myself. But uh, I feel as if, you know, and I'm not diminishing any of the struggles you have been through because you've been through a lot, but... I feel that you were born with a special skill. <laughs> and it must, however much you've been through, mate, do you feel as if your ability to share has at least been something that has sort of always has helped you? I think it, I think it has helped me because I don't keep much stuff in. I mean, mm. the things that are in do ruminate and cause trouble, but I, I do try and let it out. And maybe that's the example that I was set as well. Like, there's a lot of mental health issues in my family and it's, it was, it's almost the norm to be talking about your mental health slash whining about it (laughs) trying to get attention of some sort or the other it's Mm. just all I've ever known so it certainly wasn't a was it stiff British upper lip style upbringing it was poor 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 me another drink style upbringing Um, but yeah I don't know it's just something that's helped me and god I don't think I could hold things inside I'm not I'm not good at internalizing I'm probably more of an extrovert in that sense things without sounding like one of those annoying jazz hands people mm. although I'm no, sure but I, I mean look it's helped me because when I was going through things and I couldn't necessarily talk to everyone certainly not a lot of my bloke mates not because I'm not going to like criticise my bloke mates and make out they would have 
taken the piss or not been sympathetic but I think they would have just found it very difficult and awkward some of them mm. whereas I remember talking to you quite openly when I first got sober and when I've been going through bad times and you sort of were like very easy to talk so you should know and you know I want you to know that yeah you you know you find it helps you to talk to other people I'm sure but you help other people by being that open especially being the sort of bloke you are as well do you know what I mean? You're yeah. not like, you don't come across, you're a big larger than life fella, mate. You're not, you don't come across as a naturally touchy-feely sort of guy. <laughs> but that's a good thing because you open yeah. up and you can show that you're sensitive and vulnerable. Yeah, thank you very much for saying that. And I think, yes, I was doing, I'll be touched on mental health on, on another sort of show I do. And I, like I said on that, I said, if, if by sharing your experiences it helps just one person, mm. then you've sort of done, then you've done a job. If you can st- keep one person hanging in there just for another 24 hours someone that's really on the edge then that that's what it's about and i i had an experience when i watched that um tyson fury interview on joe rogan where he's talking about how close he came to suicide and ironically i that could have been something to help save my life because i heard that at such a damn point so it's that 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 interview just spoke to me sort of directly yeah just a really bad a really bad time so i'm not saying maybe this is going to help save someone's life but you never know maybe by hearing just two this conversation yeah, it could be one person I think any time you open up you're open hearted yeah. and show it yourself then you, you don't know who it's helping or how yeah, but you it don't. could be helping someone in a special in a really important way you well, know? it's like with, like with the Recep series you, you don't know exactly who's listening mm. there might be someone that's religiously listening to every episode and it's really helping them or there might be someone that's listened to one episode for 10 minutes and it's helped them and they've let you know but yeah you don't know but I think it's putting it's putting good out there and there's no negativity in potentially help potentially helping someone you know um, you know it's, you, you've had a successful acting career which I mentioned in your intro but you also, you know, have, have worked on building sites. You've worked on the tools throughout your career. Now, that, I read a report this week, a really horrible, I thought, horrible story in the Daily Mail. I don't know if you saw it. Yeah, I know what it's right. talking about. And they go, oh, now even tradesmen have gone woke. That's the way the Daily Mail um, described it. But then the study that they're referring to, all it really said was a lot of people who work on the tools now feel that talk about their feelings and emotions. For some reason, the male had managed to dress that up as a negative thing. Yeah. I suppose what they were trying to say was that's, that is traditionally a very sort of alpha male kind of environment to work in where you would imagine it is hard. You have to keep up a front a little bit. Yeah. Is, is, that a fair, is that a fair reflection working in that environment? Well, I think so. I think it is definitely toxic masculinity is rife within trades work but what I've found now is there's sort of three generations on the tools I mean I'll just put it now I'm still very much on the tools my main source of income yeah. comes from being a painting and decorator um, so you've got the old guys who this would come under your sort of typical old school British builders what you've got to be worried about you tart mm. they love a full English breakfast they love a bit of Brexit they love the sun they love a bit of tits you know what yeah, I mean yeah. then you've got your sort of middle range ones who are sort of my age who are around 40 who have got experience of that world but have also got experience of slightly more left-wing and open-minded political and social sort of views mm. and then you've got the new wave coming through which maybe they the, who are referred to perhaps as the woke generation who are much more sort of socially and culturally educated and, and open-minded so there is definitely a transition going on in the trades but that article that you mentioned i think there's elements of classism there um 
I think that this sort of view that people in the trades are all sort of racist, unhealthy, big cocaine kebabs is is outdated and um, and it's actually quite insulting. I mean, for example, someone could look at me and go, "Oh yeah, but you're working on the trades. You've got short hair." You've, you've been in prison, you got kicked out of school, you've been a lager out. And I could say, yes, that's all true. But I've also got a first-class degree, I'm a published poet, and have a mixed-race family. Mm. So mm, mm. how do you want to play it? Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And the, the publication you're talking about has chosen the, yeah. the first ones of those things because that's how they want to see it. But I think people do love a cliche and they want to put people in boxes so they can understand it and that box suits the Daily Mail's of audience even if it is a bit of a backhanded compliment that us morons in the trade might pull ourselves away from a full English breakfast yeah. and have a quinona bar. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> um, you know, also you mentioned that you have done time when you were younger and, you know, there was a period probably when I first knew you but like, you know, you were you were living a, a bad life. When you were living that life, right, were you able to show your, were you just as open and vulnerable as you are now? Uh, no, for, before I start, so I think I have to say that I'm not from a terrible background at all. Um, there's a lot of negative things, but essentially my mum is sort of a middle-class woman and a very dysfunctional upbringing, but it, I was not, ever really really poor for example or suffer any sort of major physical or sexual abuse but yeah I did have a very dysfunctional upbringing and so much so that when I was by 19 yeah kicked out of home school and, and spent a bit of time in Felton prison I literally became another character and that was in, that was to do with the subculture of graffiti that I was involved in and that was purely fueled by alcohol drugs and mostly fear and it was that fear of what did happen to me and what might happen to you on the street in inverted commas and therefore you be, you become you mistake respect with fear and you try and become fearsome and you do that by being bullied but by stopping yourself being bullied by being a bully and being yeah. allowed and you become this character for your own self-protection and if you can build up enough of a reputation then maybe people the bigger, tougher boys might be less inclined to, to rob you or to get you involved in their stuff. And eventually, as you get older, you climb the tree and you become a bit bigger and a bit more streetwise. And then, before you know what's going on, it, it's who you've become. Um, and what, what, what was it that changed for you? How did you manage to make positive change in your life? Um, I, I did go back into education and I, I got a, a job being a lifeguard. Um, and I, just a little bit of responsibility and respect that that commanded in me, I think sort of I started getting attention for a positive from a positive side of things, and therefore I, then I was living sort of with one foot in, one foot out. So I'd be going and misbehaving, but then going into a job with a, a level of responsibility. And I don't know. I guess I just had a bit. I had it sort of. In, I had it about me that I knew that that wasn't the right way. I was seeing people getting more and more in trouble and. I did have a sense of what was right and what was wrong, so I did know that when I was misbehaving, it was wrong. And it was all fueled by alcohol, so it was a character. So when I wasn't drunk and going mad, it wasn't mm. really me. Mm. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to talk about in your life, Todd, and we'll jump around a bit, but, you know, you, you mentioned it was alcohol, and I remember when you got sober. What was it, four and a half years ago? Yeah, yeah. And so what, what was that like? What was the trigger for that? I'd, I'd known I'd need to, to stop drinking 
since I started drinking because I loved it. I found mm. it and I loved it, and it was gave me everything that I wanted. It was an escape. It, it was just great. I loved alcohol from the minute I found it, and I loved how it made me feel. And I thought I loved who it made me made me become. But then for the last ten years of my drinking, which was a lot. Um, I wasn't happy in the end. I was just, it was just all about as much as I could drink until, and I'd get myself into all sorts of trouble because I'd go out and it wasn't exciting enough for me and I was an adrenaline junkie. So I'd always be pushing the boundaries and seeking out things to entertain myself, Mm. which sounds quite funny and there is some funny stories, but it's negative and there would have been people's nights that I've ruined and people who I've upset and people that probably could still remember a negative story that I'm involved in, people that I wouldn't even remember to look at. And that's, mm. that's a horrible feeling to know that it could have negatively affected people's lives for my own sort of drunken entertainment. But how long had you been thinking? When, when did it dawn on you that you, it was more negatives than positives? And how long had you been thinking uh, about would, actually quitting as opposed to cutting down? Well, it's every time. My hangovers were horrendous. Waking up in police cells, pressing the button, find out how serious it was this time numerous things various court appearances upsetting people waking up in mad places I mean I was when I drank you wouldn't know how drunk I was because I wasn't a slurrer and I wasn't a faller over yeah I was just wild um because I believe that I think it's something called um what is it delayed arrested development arrested, right where your brain when you start heavily drinking it doesn't carry on developing so I yeah. had this sort of like 14 15 year old mentality and because of my drinking, wasn't all sort of like in pubs and clubs. It was street drinking. It was going around London, stealing alcohol, and just mm. London was a playground and whatever havoc you could cause, you mm. caused, which tied in with the graffiti world that I was in. So I knew from a, I knew that I'd have to stop, and it was always the regret and the alcoholic remorse and what have I done and who have, who have I offended and mm. how serious is it this time? And then blackouts became every time I drank. I could I could consume so much alcohol and I was never sick and I used to do a day on a day off like back in the, like in the day and then as I got a bit older drugs came into it more because I could afford it more so then I'd facilitate the drinking through coke yeah that was like a travel card I can do what I want now yeah yeah and I'd rather talk someone to death than beat them to death you know? yeah not glamorising my behaviour I'm not nah. particularly hard I just it was weird because I was boxing and kickboxing at quite a decent level so I'd punish myself and live like a semi-professional athlete all week and then get smashed on the weekends and people would get into conflicts but I was so regularly sparring and stuff that it was just so normal to yeah. carry on that phone which of course I realised was quite dangerous because you're starting you could get hurt yourself and you could cause quite a lot of damage to yeah. people you know and that's not what I want to be or that sort of person so you've come such a long way mate I mean You've come a long way, and this is what I'm interested in. You know, I've been knowing you for a long time, and learning more now is like it's a long way back from where you were. You know, when you talk about all of these things, like even when you were becoming older and you were relatively more responsible, you were still binge drinking, sometimes fighting at weekends. It's a long way to come back from. And I'm just interested now on reflection what how you think you, you did it. What you know, I know it's never as simple as oh there was this one big moment. But what, what do you what do you think it was that made you suddenly think, I've got to take control because as we any of us who've who have got sober, 
and who've had a problem know it's not an easy thing. It takes more than a few bad hangovers. It's a long fucking road and it's a lot of effort. And you, you achieved that. And I'm just fascinated as to how he did it. The honest reason that first come into my mind, and this isn't t- tell you what it is, it's for me it was life or death. When I got sober, I, within the f- three months of getting sober, had a complete nervous breakdown right. and lost my my relationship ended not through my terms in the worst terms possible and I knew that if I did drink again I would have probably done something very serious to myself and there was third parties involved who I, who I know what I was capable of under alcohol drinking and if I had done that then my son would have not had a dad through being dead or, or doing a life sentence and my motivation to raise my, my son and to not abandon him and to make sure that I was the dad I never had, it is and was my the reason that I'll never drink again. Mm. That's that's beautiful, mate. And, and I and I'm and I'm not just saying that, and I'm not trying to make out of my I was that damaged and that broken, and I I can't risk that because that's the only thing that keeps me going that I live for. The only thing I'm truly proud of is that during that time. I stuck by my son who I was co-parenting under very difficult circumstances and he kept me alive and I would never desert him. And all, all my um, this, a son I've had since in, in my current mm. relationship. And that is essentially when it all boils down to it, that is my job to, to bring those two up and never abandon them and make sure that whatever issues they face, they won't be the same ones that I faced as a result of not having parents that were able to give me the love that I needed um, have you found how, do you, how did you find sobriety though when you first sort of you know when you got through the tough early stages of it I, I feel as if you, you took to it very quickly and very well and you, and you just see it as a positive aspect in your life I had to change everything I just had to completely change my whole life so my whole life revolved around drinking and the and the attention, positive and negative, that came with it. My relationship was very social at the time, with the both the trades work and the media works very drink, mm. drink heavy. And I don't really go out, but I anymore. But I don't miss it because I put all my energy into becoming a dad. So the weekends I do that, and I was, I was ready to, I was ready to stop. Sorry. Um. I was uh, yeah I was really I was really ready to stop. I've done enough, drinking's not my friend. It doesn't there's no good comes out of my drinking. Mm. There's no good at all apart from maybe a 10 minute period when I'm hilarious. <laughs> well you're lucky, you know, some you know I've always felt that I, I I didn't know when I gave up drinking drugs how I what my personality would be like because I've been doing it for so long since such an early age. You, you think, oh, this will be interesting. I wonder what I'm really like. Because you, you, to a large extent, you don't know what you're like. Yeah. I, and the thing was, one thing is, and, and I tried to really stress this, is that, like, you kind of think, oh, it must be really boring when you're sober. Yeah. And, and my personal thing is, I, what, number one was I was delighted to find out that I could still have a laugh and I could still be funny. Um, but actually, I had even more energy, right? Um, yeah become much more discerning about what you do and don't do there's a lot more things that you just invitations you accept or things you get involved in when you're drinking because you just sort of think well I'll have a drink it'll be alright so I do a hell of a lot less 
But I try to always stress to people who are thinking about not drinking that, you know, not only is it, can you still have fun? You, you basically have more fun. I mean, you are someone, you say, oh, I was hilarious first, right? You're just as funny as you ever were. You're certainly just as confident as you ever were. Oh, do, you, do you know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's, that's quite a nice thing to discover about yourself, isn't it? Well, that is really nice of you to say so, and it's, it's something I've worried about, because you do lose yourself. I guess I thought that when I got sober, everything would be sorted out the next day, and that's when the work really starts, because you start having to uncover the reasons why you would start those negative behavioural cycles in the first place. And I, it's, I, I still, I'm not really sure who I am now, but I know what I'm not. Mm. And even just things like I was, I was a real um, casual dresser. So I, I miss the whole casual football hooligan sort of movement from the 80s, but mm. I loved the style and the fashion. And I've even sort of changed the way I sort of dress a bit because I'm so scared to, to be anything like the person I was before. Yeah. And I sit here with you as a 40-year-old white man with cane rows today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I've just put my hair in them. So you, you wouldn't believe it, but I would never have had my hair like this before. But I'm just a lot more relaxed now. And I don't really know who I am, but I know what I'm not. And it's just, it's what I'm grateful about. It's just waking up in the morning knowing I'm not going to hurt myself or anyone else or get in any trouble there's when I used to drink it was nothing was off the table it was a lottery it was a, it was a total lottery and now I know that I'm unlikely to do the things that I would do when I was drinking ever again be it a mad fight in a pub toilet or surfing the back of a train home or jumping behind the counter and snick a couple of bottles of champagne in a crowded shop Whatever yeah. the mad shit would, that I would do as just normal, as you talk, standard. You talk, you talk about football there, and we were just remembering earlier that the, the last time I remember being out with you on a wild one, I actually was sober. <laughs> and we went to, to West Ham, Newcastle, up at Newcastle, which is always a, a, an away day that's got big potential for <laughs> craziness. And you tagged along with me and my brother, even though you're not actually West Ham, because you sort of be alone. Me and my brother were both sober. I'd been yeah. sober about a year. He'd been sober much longer, like several years. And uh, I remember thinking, oh, yeah, I wonder if this will be all right, because it was one of my first sober away days. But you were not sober at that <laughs> no. time. And you had a... I've actually got some photos that really reflect our differing state of mind. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, yeah. Well, like, I'm just sort of looking pretty chill about my train up to Newcastle <laughs> through the English countryside. And you're quite all over the place. It's, it's fair to say you had quite a, a high-octane day that day at St James's Park. I don't think you sat down to watch the match once. No, I didn't. I, let's say, for those that know, I marched all the way there. <laughs> Whilst <laughs> yeah. I was there, and marched home again yeah. with the assistance of um, Stella Artois. And, yeah, I remember, yeah, I, I couldn't sit still and yeah. just running around behind was the it, scenes by talking to anyone that had listened to Strange me. experience, that, like, when, you, when you're first sober and you're with someone who, who's very fucked. I mean... And I wasn't a quiet fuck. I was quite. I didn't. I didn't really take. I didn't try to avoid that sort of shit as much as I feel I should have done when I was first sober. Now, as naturally avoid it. I can't imagine a situation that I would be in where I'm with someone who's like very off their face. I mean, obviously, I still go to football, and sometimes, like when I went away to Europe last season, you're very often like on a train or in a square or a bar where there were people who were like right off it. But even then. You know, I'd, I'd wander away. I went back to my hotel room for a kid. I just don't stay around people like like that generally. But back then, I was only recently sober. And actually, I don't remember it bothering me at all. I remember finding it hilarious sort of thing. Yeah. But it is a strange one, isn't it? I mean, do you try to avoid I being around people who are like that? I'm a big boxing fan, and I've 
boxing for me was a big excuse as it is for a lot of people for a drink and all the yeah. rest of it. And I, I got offered a ticket to go to Tyson Fury and Dillian White recently. And I went and it was hard work. Um, firstly, everyone's on it. You go in the toilet and they're going, get out of our coke room. And like, it's just thick with smoke and geezers going through it. And like, it's very intimidating and everyone's really wide and on it. And where it's boxing, it's a very like, rah. And I just, I just, it made me sort of go into myself because I just, I I just was really quiet. And I was wearing a sort of vintage um, Naf Naf bomber jacket that I've got. The man, oh, I love that. Yeah, so (laughs) it attracted lots of positive attention, but... I did find it difficult and to be honest that's probably the first time that I've sort of thought well maybe if I don't drink but I could do a bit of that I didn't Mm. but it did cross my mind it was it was difficult and I don't think I put myself in that situation again because for me boxing was synonymous with this is the this is going to be a mental 24 hours yeah yeah big 24 hours and um and also let's be real I don't. I think that drugs and alcohol are just an awful in every way. But I tell you something awful: doing cocaine without alcohol. Oh yeah, anxiety. You, you don't want to try that. Yeah, I mean, don't try any of it in any combination. But a dry line is uh, one yeah, of the most horrendous the experiences you can ever put yourself through. Like that is. I don't. I, I'll never do it. So I've never I, done. I did sober. it back in the old days. I did it a couple of times when I was trying to quit drink and foolishly thought I could keep doing some things but not others. And I, I, you know, I, I naturally suffer from anxiety anyway, and oh, that was God. like plunging yourself into the darkest hell yeah. you could. Um, what do you do nowadays, mate? So you've got, I know you've got two young children, so life's tough as it is for any dad when they've got two on the go. One's still a baby, so you have sleep issues, mm. which I know must be difficult. Yeah. How, how do you try to manage your mental health nowadays? Oh, do you know what I'd just like to I've got to say like I'm sitting here sort of telling stories and preaching I'm by no way fixed I am I'm an addict and I'm seriously mentally ill and it was only <laughs> yesterday I was having a complete freak out and an emotional shutdown where it's just my sensory overload and I was just so stressed I couldn't handle it so I take medication which I've always taken I do weekly psychotherapy um, which, I, which, I, which I've been doing for about three years now. Um, I've done lots of therapy, CBT, etc. before, so I've got some knowledge from that. I'm not doing any exercise well, as much as I should be, which is something I also do. And what I've just found is when it comes, the, the bouts are there, the depression will be on me, but it will pass. And they're shorter, they're shorter bursts now. Rather than going on for months at a time, mm. they're shorter. It, it's more days. And it is difficult. And I try and tell the people around me that I love, this isn't about you, although it's must seem to them very much that it's about them mm. and the, the the violence has come out of my sort of rages I'm a lot more subdued than I was when I was still drinking or, or the rest of it because I'd probably still be a bit sort of hungover and so I'm not like smashing stuff up but it's it's horrible and it's something that I know that I've got to live with and that if you had diabetes you'd manage it as you do for the rest of your life and I'd have to manage my sort of depression at, and ongoing mental health issues, but the part of the way of managing it is by not drinking or taking drugs. I wish I could. Like fat people might look at me and go, oh, I wish I could just eat three Mars bars and not be fat. I'm lucky, I'm not particularly fat, so I can do that, but I can't drink. I look at something, I wish I could just have a couple of drinks, but then who has a couple of drinks? That's not fun. I drank to get mad. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I've, I, so avoiding that, 
medication, exercise, counselling, talking, and even still it can get you. The black dog will always will always be there and it will always get me. It's just how I how I react to it. But one thing I always say is toxic relationships, whether it's friends or family, if, if you listen to this and you've got that, you know if it's toxic because when you think of the person or whatever, it causes you some sort of stress, then just try and remove yourself from that. You don't need to approach you just remove yourself from it. Mm. And I've had to do that with family members and other people that in an ideal world I'd have a more cooperative relationship with but it makes me physically ill yeah the stress and it's all triggers and it all goes back for me I found it all goes back to sort of childhood and I'm working through that now which sounds a bit cliche but no well I think it's it's absolutely true I mean it, it is a cliche but ultimately you know people you know they often say in recovery that you know the point at which you started using drugs and alcohol is the point at which you, to a large extent, you stop developing emotionally. Yeah, the arrested development thing yeah, we touched and, on earlier. And, and, you know, therefore, when you when you finally stop, the next thing you do is have to unravel a lot of shit that's happened over the years that you haven't quite processed properly. Oh, yeah. And so inevitably, you know, you go back and you realise that a lot of the, your reactions to things are dictated by the little bits and bobs that happen to you. Sometimes big things. Mm -hmm. But as you said, you know, I'm like you. I wasn't... I wasn't the victim of abuse. You know, I didn't... I was from a broken home like you. A lot of people are. It's not nice. I kind of grew up you know, almost trained to say, oh, it doesn't affect me. I, I don't mind because you sort of think, oh, I don't want to make a big deal out of it and you pretend to be okay. When you get sober, you start looking back on things and really you do have to, it's not about being navel-gazing, but you do have to sort of start thinking, actually, let's be real, that shit that happened to me when I was a kid mm. did really fucking bother me and dictates the way I behave to this day. Correct, because sometimes our reactions is actually the young person reacting to it. So there might be a trauma yeah. in your childhood and if something triggers it in adult life, your reaction is, is parallel to like a child's reaction. Most obviously shouting, swearing, hitting. Mm. It's, mm. it's a young part of us, do you know what I mean? But a lot of people, don't. we're talking about it now, but they, for whatever reason, they don't get to that stage of doing the work or digging down on covering it because they sort of get away with it or they feel like they're getting away with it. Mm. And we all know them because they're in the pub now drinking, telling war stories and carrying on that same behaviour they've been doing for 30, 40 years. Yeah. Uh, well, Todd, um, thanks for coming on the show and also just thanks. You know, you've been a good mate and like I say, you know, you've always been a great person to talk to and I'm sure you play that role in a lot of other people's lives as well. So uh, when things get tough for you, you should know that you're also... You know whether you always can see it or not you're also helpful to other people and i'm sure people listening to this podcast would you know taken some comfort or related to a lot of the things you've said and also just well done on, on your recovery mate and all the progress that you've made it's it's tough sometimes when life's tough you can sort of think oh fucking hell, i've not got anywhere i still get miserable i'm still knackered and stressed and no one's there to sometimes say no mate what you've done is actually fucking a miracle you've moved mountains over the last sort of five years or so no you know we don't always get told that enough no, we don't. so you know i'm telling you that now so thanks a lot mate no, thank you um, so you can hear Todd on Fix Radio. I'm going to put all of the links to his other stuff um, in the in the accompanying text of this podcast wherever you're listening to it. If you want to check out his work, um, Todd Von Joel, thank you very much. Yeah, no worries. Thank you very much, Sam. There you go. That was Todd Von Joel, a great mate, a talented creative, and also a brilliant decorator. To be fair, he's always been an inspiration, and I'm really chuffed he came on the show. If you want to find out more about Todd, 
check him out on Fix It Radio, which is on National DAB. You can also find out more about his other projects at toddvonjoel.com. That's it for this week, gang. Remember to subscribe to The Reset at sounddelaney.substack.com. You can also get my new group Chinwag podcast, Club Reset, which is available exclusively to subscribers on my new platform, hubwave.net. Until next time, be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down.